Tonight we're continuing down our doctrine series. This is an interesting um, form of doctrine. This is um, eschatology. Basically what that is, a part of theology that's concerned with the death, um, judgment, and final destiny of someone's soul. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about that soul and body. But um, I want to go over this because there's a lot of things that people throw out that are not necessarily true. And we're going to go over some terms. All your terms are written out because I didn't want to spend all night spelling them for you. And so if you get your piece of paper, there's some things, some fill in the blanks you're going to have to do. You're going to have to look at these. It's, it's kind of sad when you meet somebody that believes some of these things that I, I personally don't believe. I, and we'll, we'll talk about that. For, for instance, the, the two types of methods of looking at the scriptures. One of them basically is all in man's view. One of them is literally what the Bible says. And there's a lot of people that leave Baptist churches or go to different forms of Baptist churches that don't believe like you believe, if you believe literally. And I'll give you an example. Um, there's, there are people out there that do not believe that Jonah was swallowed by a whale. It was just a symbol. Well, you tell Jonah that and you tell the whale that because they both, it, it actually happened. I've heard about the fiery furnace. You've heard, you've heard about all these different things that it really didn't happen. The burning bush really didn't happen. It was, it was symbolic. Well, if it was symbolic, why did it get Moses' attention? How many times do you stop and talk to, look at a bush, go back to see what the bush is going on, and then start talking to the bush? It was a literal thing. You've got to believe what the Bible says, and the Bible speaks, and we'll get into this. If you look in the middle, it says, God likes plain words and uses plain words to communicate exactly what he wants us to know. And I was at my um, sister's memorial service on Saturday. The preacher was not using the, the King James Version. He was using a different version. And you know that, that part where it says, um, I, I'm, I'll build mansions for you. I'll, I'll prepare a mansion for you. Do you know what his term said in his version? I will prepare a room for you. Now, you're going on vacation. Do you want to go to a mansion or a room? There's a big difference between those two words. And I was, and, I, and I, even when he was talking, and at the very end, of course, at the very end of the funeral service, they read the 23rd Psalm. And it was amazing some of the words he used in the 23rd Psalm. But that room and that, and that mansion really hit me, hit me hard because I thought, man, this just does not even make even remotely closely sense with it. So I want you to understand this. I want you to get this. All right, there's two different types of forms, and we've looked, at the, we've looked at them a little bit, but there's a literal method, and then there's an allegorical method of looking at them. And I want to break these down and let you see what these are. Methods are interpreting prophetic scriptures, those, those two. Look at the second line. These methods, you know what they'll say? They say they can be blended. You know, we, use, we like to use that word blended. What's the first thing that a church does when it changes music? It, it says it's going to be a blended music. And then you'll see two different, two different services because they, it's just the first category of taking it where, where they're wanting to take it. Well, who believes which, which one of these methods with it? These cannot be compatible. They cannot be blended. Who believes which methods? Premillennialists include pre-tribulation rapturists emphasizing the literal interpretation of the Bible. Now, how many of you read the book of Revelation? It is confusing sometimes. But aren't you thankful that it, some parts are confusing? I am, because God is a bigger creature than we are. I don't understand God half the time that He does in my life. But I tell you this, God knows what He's doing. 
and there's no conflicts in this. Now, amillennialists include mid-tribulation and post-tribulation rapturists, and they, they do not believe in a literal interpretation. And so we're going to break these down. I want you to see these. The first one is a method of interpreting, interpreting the Bible that treats the text of the Bible as a mere vehicle for some spiritual and more profound messages are hidden beneath the words. Now we use this in our world, but we don't use it when we look at the Bible. Don't we? Don't you try to figure out what people... How many of you are ever text? Have you ever gotten a text and says, they're mad at me. But if you were to read the text right out, it wouldn't sound like they're mad. But you know how they normally text? And there's just something about that. When someone texts me and it's all capitalized, they're trying to emphasize something. My nephew, my, my, brother's, um, my brother's son, he drives me crazy when he texts me. I don't know why he does this, but they, he, Chuck told me that his thumbs are too big and he can't text right and he capitalizes about every third letter. And so I'm reading it and, and so when I text him back, I'll text him back the same way that he texts me. And, 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 and you don't realize how hard it is to do that. See, we look at things and we try to figure things out by what our own interpretation is, but God never intended that for the Bible. When I, when I was reading this, it says, when applied to Scripture, every event is made of an allegory or something like that. However, this method makes man, man the judge of the Bible rather than the Bible the judge of man. Do you understand the seriousness of this? Now, I can read the Bible and I can get two different things from the same portion of Scripture. But when, when what they're doing is, by this disregarding what is clearly stated, the door is open to fanciful invention and personal interpretation. You know when I find out that people, people like this is when they're doing something wrong and they don't want to admit it. They can find something in the Scripture to back what they're doing. And what they're usually doing is pulling it out of context. And, and they don't understand why they're doing it. They just know, hey, I'm going to do wrong, so I'm going to make the Bible fit my lifestyle rather than my lifestyle fix, fit, fit, follow the Bible. So it's a very dangerous situation. The opinions of men form the ground upon which disagreement flourishes. All they want is a personal interpretation of what the Bible is. They don't want someone to say, the Bible says this and it means that. How many of you believe that Moses walked on dry land across the Red Sea? I do. Because God said it. And you know, when, when you say some of these things that the Bible says, you go, that doesn't sound like that could happen. But you know what? God can do anything He wants. Watch. Don't you think it's kind of interesting that a donkey talked in the Bible? And we look at that and go, man, I just can't believe a donkey would talk. Well, literally, a donkey talked to him. But you know what we don't have a problem with? Is in Genesis when the snake talks. How many of you have ever picked up a snake and said, hey, I want to talk to you, Ralph? If an animal talked to me, I'd be out of the room. And I almost, when I read in Genesis, I almost think that the animals talked. I would have fled the scene. First of all, it's a snake. 
you ever see a snake beside me, it's a mistake. People walk up to me and they've got a snake around their neck and they say, you want to pet it? I have no desire to do it. And all I look back and go, see what happened to Eve? I don't want it to happen to me. I don't like snakes, but we look at the donkey and we say, oh, it couldn't have talked. But that's what people do. We try to rationalize. And once you do that one time, you realize what, what door it opens up? Opens up a big door. Did God really mean the 10th commandment? He really mean the fourth one? What about the sixth one? We can't, we can't a la carte things and just pick this, pick this, pick this. God literally said what he said and he meant it. Go to 2 Peter um, chapter 1, verse 19 through 21. 2 Peter chapter 1. And this will show itself in the very end. This is why we've got to lay the groundwork of the way people think. A literal method is a method of interpreting that which each word of the text, the same basic, basic meaning that it, it would have had in normal, customary, or historical usage. For 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19 through 21 says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, wherein ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn, and the day star arises in your heart, knowing that this first, that no prophecy of a scripture is in any is of any, what's the next word? Private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. If you can do your own private interpretation, why did God even write the Bible? And I'm telling you right now, we live in a world where people look at the Bible as a fable. It's not a fable. Because if you throw one thing out, where are you going to sit where you throw other things out? You can throw out salvation, not of works lest any man should boast. Now we can work our way. To, we've got to watch that we believe literally what the Bible says. And so on the literal method, let's look at a couple of verses. Literal, literalism is the method of interpreting that gives each word of the text the same basic meaning. And here's some verses that are found in that. They're found in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And verse 9 and 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. And we'll get to that in just a second. As you, as you write those down, I want to talk, talk to you about the necessity of literally believing what the Bible says. Look at these six that are listed here. Literal meaning of, of sentences is the first and normal approach in all languages. If someone walked up to you and you're sitting on your, back, on your back porch and someone walked up and said, your house is on fire, what would you think they meant? Did they literally mean that? Or are they just saying that? Denver's telling me this, what day was that? The fire trucks were out here? Monday. We, the heater kicked on for the first time, burning all the fuzz up that was in our heater. And we had a bunch of fire trucks out here. And they came to look because the alarm went off. We've got to see this, that when we speak, the literal meaning of a sentence is the first and normal approach in all languages. Look at the second one. Understanding parables begins with accepting the normal usage of its words. Jesus did talk in parables. And some of the times it was for his disciples to understand. But it's literal meanings of what, it, what he's talking about. The third one, the majority of Bible texts makes perfect sense with interpreted literally. Most of the Bible, there are some things that we look at and we go, I, I, we might not understand this, and it's kind of hard reading sometimes. 
But it's still there. It's a literal aspect. When I'm reading my Bible and I don't understand something, I'll put a question mark by it. And there's some verses in the Bible that are question marks. I don't understand it all. But I can tell you that God wrote it and He wrote it for us. And He wrote it for us to literally read it and understand it in that, in that tense. Literalism does not ignore the use of parables or allegories in the Bible. Literalism is objective rather than subjective and is the only method of, in harmony with the idea of verbally inspired, supernatural, preserved Bible. See, because if you, if you start making your own assumptions of what the Bible is saying, you're saying that you don't believe the interpretation of the Bible. It... it when you, when you study your Bible, you need to have a dictionary beside you or have something that will tell you some other words in there because there's, there's some words that they're going to use that you might not understand. For instance, there's a verse that says, the heart leapeth. You ever read that verse in Proverbs? How's heart spelled? H-A-R-T. Now some of you want to be the romantic person that you are, man, and you're saying, every time I see my wife, my heart leapeth. That's not what it's talking about. What is it referring to? The heart, the heart is what? Anybody know what that is? It's a deer. You ever seen a deer run? They leap. Okay, and I, I've referred to this. I was, I, I've preached actually a message in, I think, vacation or um, the Easter, um, when we had our Easter hunt here, and I used the word conies. Well, when I think of a cony, what do you think of? I think of ice cream, amen? But it talks about a feeble folk that live in the rocks, and it's a cony, and it's an it's a animal, a biblical animal, that it looks like a rabbit. And they live in the rocks because they can hide in the rocks, and the difference between a coney and a rabbit is that they have suction cups on their hands and they can run up the rocks. When you read this, you go, what is this talking about? I don't understand this. They live in the rocks? That's because God protects them. So we, we've got to understand that sometimes we might not understand all the words, but it, it, the Bible is preserved, and thank God for that. Literal, literalism emphasizes that which is clearly states as truth and then takes that which is obscure and interprets it by w that which is clear. I love it when Hollywood makes movies because they're always 100% accurate, aren't they? How many of you ever had the privilege? I, I, someone was telling me about this movie, so I watched it. And I, it Things like this just irritate me when I watch it. I'm talking to the screen and saying things. How many of you watched the movie, I think it was called Moses, where he goes in and he, it's just recent, about four or five years ago they, they did it, and it was about the um, going across the Red Sea, and, and they made their own interpretations of it. How many of you know what I'm talking about? If you watch it at the very end, you know what? Pharaoh survives, and he's riding on his horse, and, and then there's other people in other boats uh, with Noah's story that he tells. They just come up with these things themselves because it sells more. You watch the, the things with um, the, the end times. How many of you have seen those? There's things that are biblically wrong in those. You look at them and they, they don't make any sense. Um, I'm drawing a blank of what the name of it is. Left Behind series, the preacher has read the whole Bible and he doesn't get saved till after what? The rapture. The Bible says that he'll believe what? Well, we look at it and go, oh, it's Hollywood. But they're making their own interpretations of it. You've got to know what you believe. And there's, other, there's people from other, going to other denominations 
that used to be Baptists because they don't know what they believe. They don't, oh, I don't know if the Bible's really meaning what it's saying. Yes, the Bible does mean what it's saying. So let's look at some of these terms, and if this doesn't confuse you, I don't know what will. All right? First Corinthians, let me read 1 Corinthians 14, verse 9 real quick. It says, So likewise, ye accept ye utter by the tongue words, easy to be understood. How shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. 2 Corinthians 3, 12 says this, Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. The Bible is just very simple. I, I get tired of people saying, Well, the King James Bible is so hard to read. Really? You know, when it says the word ye, I just want to shut the Bible and say, I just don't know what that means. No, I'm not going to call thou, I'm not going to call you thou and, and ye. And, but, you know, I understand what it means. Your nay be nay. Just, what does that mean? People don't want to put any effort into it. It's not hard. It's written on a sixth grade English level. So let's look at some important terms. We're going to go through these pretty quick. How many of you ever heard of Millennial. A millennial. What is that? That's one right there, okay? There's two. There's two right there, all right? Millennium. This is, this is the term, this term is not in the Bible, but counts for the, that comes from the Latin meaning 1,000 and used to refer to the time period spoken of in the Revelation. You won't find the word millennium in there, but you will read in Revelation chapter 20. Let's go ahead and go to Revelation chapter 20, and we're going to read these seven verses. And I want you to see this, and you'll see some things that are found in this. Revelation chapter 20, if you don't know where that's at, you're in trouble, okay? It says, Revelation chapter 20, it says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witnesses of Je witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and, the, and, which, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. You know, if you read that and you put it in order and you just write, it, write things down, you'll understand what he's saying. It's very specific of what's going to happen. And so you have that, that's a word. Then there's a word called post-millennials. And, and it's a term that some people use, and, and, and I'll, I'll give you some insight on that. There's, there's a song that is actually written that is actually, it falls in this category. This term teaches that the growth of the church and the power of the gospel will cause the world to get better and better. How's that working out? You say, man, it's just getting good out there. You know, I can say this, there's fake news, there's fake religion, too. And here, here it is, it says, the world's going to get better and better until the present, world, present order blends into the millennial period. Everything's going to be okay. How many of you believe that? Okay, hopefully none of you. You know, there's a song, now I'm not going to make anybody happy with this, but there's a song that kind of teaches this. You know what song it is? 
I'm going I'm to refer to my friend Kathy. What is it? Okay. How about the king is coming too? When you, when you hear the Bill Gaither song, The King is Coming, it's referring to this. Man, it's going to be good. It's going to be better and better and better. And that's not what is going to happen. In fact, what's going to happen, and we'll get into the rapture, when the rapture takes place, it's going to be a mess. It's not going to, it's not going to as I, I was told when I was young, get gooder and gooder. It's not going to get gooder and gooder. It's going, to get, it's going to even be worse than what we can even imagine. So then you have the amillennialism, and it says this. The term suggests that there is no literal thousand-year period, but is a, a, merely a symbolic expression. See, now, you, when you look at the Bible, you've got to understand how people misinterpret this. Okay, how many days does it take to, to create the world? Seven. How many believe that? Six, and then you have the day of rest. Seven, right? Okay, I'm sorry, I confused you. Okay, six days. Let's go with your, your answer first. Six. Then the people, they'll take, that, they'll take that other aspect of it and they'll add what? They take something out of context. What do they take out of context? One day is like what? thousand years. So does that mean it took God 6,000 years to do this? No. It took him six days. You say, why is that so important? Because we add things all the time. I've seen people add to um, different aspects of their life where they're just trying to justify who they are. Oh no, I believe the Bible's literal, but this is what it means. No, you're doing both of them and you can't blend them both. All right, I'm making some friends tonight. All right, here we go. So, where do I stand at? Okay, keep going. Premillennialism means the term means before the millennial or thousand years. Okay? Now there's two different terms, broad terms with this. And again, they're trying to blend these things. Dispensational premillennialism is this takes the thousand years to be literal both as to fact and number. In other words, it's going to happen and it's going to last a thousand years. But look at the next one. Here's they're trying to blend it. Classical. This term is teaching that the reign of Christ will be literal, but the length of the, and the reign may or may not be exactly 1,000 years. Well, where do they get that from? I mean, it clearly states 1,000 years. Where do they get that from? They're just, I think some people have too much education and they try to make too much of themselves. I think they do. Because when they wrote that, that show Left Behind, that one little simple aspect that they did changed everything to me. Because anybody watching it will say, listen, I can still get saved after the rapture. And they can't. And see, in our little infinite minds, our, we, our, our little, little brains that we have, we think, okay, I'll just, I won't believe the lie. That's what I told myself before I got saved. You say, well, how, how am I going to believe the lie? If someone has heard the gospel, God will make them do that. You say, well, that's not a very, good, very just God. No, God's already given them an opportunity. You know what the rapture's for? The ones that have not heard. 
Because they're going to see the wrath of God. And they're going to see Satan do some things that are just, that's just incredibly evil. Can you imagine what it's going to be like six years after, after the Lord comes back and raptures his people? Three and a half years is going to be okay. Not great, but the last three and a half is going to be terrible. Can you imagine what they're going to see? I can't even comprehend it. There's going to be people that are going to want to die and they can't die. I mean, you just go through the whole thing. It's just an amazing aspect of, of what, what God's going to do. And so then we have two different words, and, and, and it's a word, again, that's not found in the Bible, and it's called rapture. The word rapture is not found in the Bible, and there's a, there's a verse in there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. Let's turn to that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16. All right, my pages are all sticking together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16 says this. You're all probably already there. Um, verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So let's talk about rapture. The, the term is used for the catching up of believers by Christ the time Christ first returns in the sky. Now, don't get wrapped up on this thing that it's not found in the Bible. It's a word that means to be caught up. And that's where we get that term rapture. Okay? And then there's the other one, the second advent. And, and this is basically the same thing as the second coming. This term is used to usher in the millennial, millennium, which immediately follows the tribulation. So let's look at these things really quick. All the at the rapture, all believers, both alive at the time and deceased, are bodily resurrected to stand before the Bema Seat. We already talked about the Bema Seat. You're not going to lose your salvation there. You're just going to, he, he's going to, he, he knows what we've done. He's going to judge us with that. Three things signal the announcement movement. Announce movement. We just read it. What are those three things? The first one is the sending of Jesus Christ from heaven with a shout. The second one is the voice of the archangel. And the third is the trump of God. Say, so what does that all mean? I don't know exactly what it all means, but I know that these three things are going to happen. He's going he's to come in from heaven, descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. Those three things have to happen. And, and we've, got, we've got to be able to understand that and see that. Here's some verses in here. Um, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show these things which must be hereafter. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 through 54 says this, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, in the, in the, at the last trump, for the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. <clears throat> so when the corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall be, have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. The last verse in there is Luke chapter 12, verses 39 through 40. It says this, And this know that if a good man of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched, and not have suffered his house to be broken through. But ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when he thinketh not. A, a, a robber is not going to come to your house and tell you when he's going to come. Listen, 
I'm going to come to your house. I'm going to steal your TV. It's going to be 10 o'clock in the morning tomorrow morning. Are you available? That's not going to happen. That's not how, how God's going to be raptured off in, what does it say, in the twinkling of an eye. In the twinkling of an eye. I, I was talking to somebody. I don't like putting eye drops in my eyes. How many of you can do it? Okay, the problem is, is my right hand knows when I'm squeezing the stuff out, and my left hand, which is holding my eye, knows when it's coming out. So my left hand feels sorry for my right hand, lets go of my eye, and my eye shuts, and I end up getting a bunch of water right here. And so what I do, and I understand the twinkling of an eye. It's real quick. It's real quick. And so God's going to come back in the twinkling of an eye. It could happen at any time. That's what we're talking about, the rapture. So let's look at this, and I want you to see this, the difference between the rapture and the second coming. What's the order? What's the first thing that's going to happen next? The rapture of the church. Seven years later, what's going to happen? A thousand years, he's going to come back. And what, what do we call it? The battle of what? Armageddon. So let's break these down, and I want you to see these last eight things and fill the blank in on these. And this is very interesting because they both do something totally different. And some of you have probably already tried to fill in some of the lines. The rapture entails the removal of all believers, what? From the earth. The second advent brings them back to the earth. They're going to reign. The rapture sees Christ coming for His bride. Second Advent sees Christ coming with His bride. And they're totally two different things. Third one is this, the rapture removes the saints from harm's way. See, and when I think of this, ver this part of it, why would I want to be post-trip. Logically, as a Christian, I don't want to go through that. Mid-trip, I want to go, I want to be taken out before all this stuff happens. I don't want to go through that. I don't want to go through the mark of the beast. I don't know if you've ever saw the real old movies. I think they were made back in the 70s, the mark of the beast films. How many of you remember that? Terrible acting, but it made you really think. Anybody ever saw those? All right, and they showed how they were going to do that, and I thought, how in the world are they going to get the, um, the mark on these people? There's some companies that already do it. Put them on their wrist or in their forehead. I think I would deny that. I would not want to do that, but you know, if you're in a business and they make you do it before the Lord comes back, people do it. I remember somebody telling me the first time that I saw a barcode. You remember that? It's like, what is? Then I read an article and it said, do you realize that every barcode, and I, I don't know if it's still true, but every barcode starts with a six, ends with a six, and in the middle there's another six. By those bars. Not the numbers, but the bars. And I remember going through Walmart one day and going, oh my word, what's going to happen? What's next? In this it says that the rapture removes the saints from harm's way. The second advent sets the saints to rule in the aftermath. Number four, the rapture ushers in the seven-year what? 
tribulation. Second advent ushers in the 1,000 year millennial reign of Christ. The, the next point, it, it, it shows the, how these two are affected and how they affect each other. First of all, the, the rapture takes place. The rapture is what? What word would you put in there? It, you got my imminent. Very good. The rapture is imminent. What, is, what needs to happen for the rapture to take place? Nothing. If you were to ask um, people back in the 1940s, how in the world would Israel be Israel? We have a God, that's why. I mean, you think about everything that God has done. This fighting that you see in Israel, God's in charge of that also. He knows what he's doing. The cornerstone and all this that's got to be set. He knows exactly what's going to happen. And if you think about how we're... Remember the one that says everything's going to get better, going to get better. That's not how it's going to happen. It's going to get worse and worse. Why? And then when the people, then the Christians are raptured up, it's even going to get worse. But why does it get worse? Because they'll need somebody that's a peacemaker. That peacemaker would be who? Antichrist. He's going to come back. So it just makes more sense the way it's happening. So it's imminent. The second advent is set on a what? Seven-year time clock. When the first one happens, then seven years later, the other one's going to happen. You say, well, people will read the Bible and they'll figure that out. Will they? Because the ones that have read the Bible, What? Don't believe the great lie. Now the ones that are saved through that time, and it's going to be very difficult for them to get saved. People will get saved during that time. I, I find it very interesting when you talk to a, um, I think it's Mormons, I believe 144,000 are going. No, is it? Jehovah Witness. Because I always ask people when they come and visit my house, I'll say, which tribe are you from? What do you mean? Well, that says 144,000. They're taking that verse completely out of context. Because if you keep reading, it says 12,000 from each tribe. And I ask them, are you Jewish? Well, no. Well, then how are you going to be in the tribes? It's a Jewish tribe. Because that's found in the, in the scriptures, 144,000 people are going to go out and do what? During the tribulation, they're going to do what? They're going to witness. They're going to be protected a little bit. But they're going to, be wit they're going to have witness. They're going to be the witness. So we take things out of context and we hear them sometimes, we don't even realize what has been said. So it says on number six, the rapture brings, for Christians it brings what? What does a rapture mean to you? You get to see, you get to see God. You get to see Christ. So the rapture brings what? As a Christian it brings rejoicing. You say, well what about the ones that are left on the earth? They won't be rejoicing. It'll be total chaos. The seventh day, um, the seventh, um, seventh day, uh, the seventh, the second advent brings Armageddon. When you read about Armageddon in the Bible, 
It's devastating. Read it, read it and read the words about blood in that battle. It's unbelievable. But it's going to take place. Do you not see that when you watch the news? You just see everything. I mean, everything's around that little country called Israel. Who's the one that everybody hates? Israel. They were to pick teams, Israel would never get picked. You've got these people that you're talking about the Kurdish and the Syrians and the, Turk, uh, the people from Turkey and you're sitting there going, oh man, these are biblical fights. They're never going to be at peace with each other. But they hate, the, they hate Israel. And so the first one brings rejoicing, the second one brings Armageddon. The set, the, number seven says the rapture brings only the appearing of Christ in the sky. Second advent brings Christ to earth again. So he comes to the sky, and the second time he actually comes to the earth. And the last one. The rapture brings no announcement and reveals few signs of the times. The second advent comes 84 months after the disappearance of the saints. And I want to end it with this. Do you not think that Satan has a plan of this whole thing already, what he's going to think he's going to do? I want you to answer this one question for me. How do you think the world is going to go and tell that all these people left, what do you think they're going to use as the excuse of how these people left? What do you think? Anybody? I know what I think. What? Hmm? I, that's what I think. You know what? You, there's so many alien shows on TV. I was watching the Disney Channel, and there's a new Disney show coming out, and it's about this girl that babysits aliens. Where do they get this from? And if you watch, you watch enough, I'm telling you, they, they keep bringing it up and bringing it up and bringing it up, and I think people are going to say, oh, yeah, I guess that must be true. I guess it must be true. You've got to know what you believe. You've got to understand the order if you're going to understand Revelation. And if you're going to understand all this and apply it in your life, people are going to ask you questions. What do you believe about the rapture? How long is it going to take? What do you believe about the Bible? Now, the, the first one that we looked at, do you literally believe the Bible? I mean, there's things coming down the pipe that I think, oh, wow, there's one of those candidates, the Democratic, that want to um, take away our... Um, Stack, or tax exempt status on all churches. And of course, when they asked them, they said, you know, churches should be more concerned about the God than the IRS. <laughs> yeah, we know that. But there's a reason why they did that. We've got to understand, we, we, we live in a world that's literally crazy. Talking about, and I'll end it with this, they're talking about gun control. And one of the guys said today, said, listen, when we set up a, when we set up a law the American people are American people and they will abide by the law. I want to, I, I know, I'm, I'm not going to tell you which person said that, but I thought, what, has he ever driven down the highway? Where'd you come from? Alabama. Did you speed when you came up here? Okay, never mind. But I was saying, 
I'm saying we don't abide by the law now. You know what's going to happen? All the dishonest people are going to turn their guns in. You really think that's going to happen? We just, we don't think things through as people. You've got to know what you believe. You've got to know what the Bible says. Base what you believe on the Bible. Don't believe something and try to make the Bible fit your, your, your thought process. There's a lot of people out there that don't know what they believe. We've went over salvation in here. There's people that believe they can lose their salvation. There's other people that think they can work their way to heaven. There's other people that think they can do certain things, baptism, to get their way to heaven. That is not what the Bible says. We've got to know what the Bible says and apply it in our life. Revelation is a fun book to study. Sometimes it's hard to understand. But God put it in there for a reason. He's trying to tell us at the very end that we're going to win. Through all of our things that we go through, we are going to win. And there's nothing that Satan can do that can change the outlook of it. He thought he had won when he killed Christ. But all it took was three days.